Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now podcast channel. Our conversation today will cover the latest on infrastructure legislation, a CDC COVID-19 guidance, an update on the southern border, and more. So joining me here on the line for the conversation today, I'm glad to welcome back Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So Shane, happy Friday. Welcome back. Looking forward to our conversation. Thanks, Dan. Good to be back with you on the precipice of uh, August. Yeah, it's hard to believe how quickly the summer is going by. If we reflect back on this week, a lot going on, a lot to follow up on. Maybe we can begin with infrastructure. I know this week the Senate voted to advance bipartisan infrastructure legislation, and this remains very fluid. What exactly does the bill encompass, what we know of as of today, and where might we go from here? How might this play out? Yeah. Yeah, so this has been, uh, as we've talked about, kind of uh, being worked on for weeks, and it really um, came together on Wednesday when the uh, bipartisan group that's negotiating said they had a deal. And then on Wednesday, um, there was this vote to advance that deal in the Senate, which received uh, 67 votes, so an overwhelming majority. Uh, There's 50 Democrats and 17 Republicans supporting it. So this package is approximately $1.2 trillion. $550 billion of it is new spending that would be spent over five years. The biggest slice of that pie is $110 billion for roads, bridges, and major projects. Uh, there's $66 billion for passenger and freight rail, You know, $65 billion for broadband, over $17 billion for port, uh, ports and waterways. 25 billion for uh, airports and another 55 for water infrastructure and 73 billion for um, the uh, power grids and the list goes on. This is a, <laughs> a very big bill. Um, so now the Senate is working on um, moving towards a final passage vote, which uh, you know could happen probably um, maybe Monday or Tuesday. That's a little fluid. They're going to work through the weekend and try and get this um, uh, all passed through the Senate. Now, keep in mind that this is just passed through the Senate. It still has to be passed by the House before it can go to the president. Um, additionally, you know, there are all these other uh, items in the air that kind of confuse the situation where um, there's a budget resolution that uh, would allow for $3.5 trillion in spending that the Senate is probably also going to pass. Now, this is just a resolution that says, you know, um, you can spend this much. It does not actually uh, set forth any spending. What it does is um, actually start that budget reconciliation process that we've talked about previously. Um, and, you know, this is totally separate from this infrastructure bill, but it, it, it you know, there is a little back and forth and confusion amongst it, even among lawmakers, which is kind of making the... Uh, final, um, you know, timeline for this uh, bipartisan infrastructure deal a little fluid, um, because while the Senate's probably going to be in session next week, the House is scheduled to depart today. And the question is, will they come back to vote on that bipartisan infrastructure deal? And when? And there, no decision has been made there. So um, this is something we're going to be following because 
there's more to play out here. Shane, thank you for walking us through the components of this substantial legislation. It will be interesting to see how next week materializes and if this recess gets pushed off the bit, depending on how things play out and whether or not a vote can occur. So more to come there, and we'll, of course, track this very closely. Maybe sticking with Capitol Hill, uh, we have been hearing a lot of headlines over the past week surrounding the January 6th panel, which was put together by Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, and they did commence their work this week. We did witness some a powerful testimony up on Capitol Hill from officers who were there on the scene. Uh, what were some of the key takeaways from this week's testimony, and what might be some next steps with respect to this panel, Shane? Yeah, I think that word used powerful was a good word to use here because, you know, the four officers who testified, um, you know, they were there and defending the, defending the Capitol on January 6th and gave, um, you know, chilling firsthand accounts of being overrun and um, assaulted and, you know, being called traitors by um, the rioters. So, you know, it, it was pretty emotional. Um, but I think if this hearing was not groundbreaking in the sense of we didn't hear new uh, information, you know, we really didn't learn anything new. I think this was just kind of to set the tone of how serious uh, January 6th was to our uh, our country. And from there, you're right, you know, this, this um, select committee has a lot more work to do. And I think the big news there is what are they going to do next is they're looking at um, subpoenaing uh, records from the White House for, for communications they had that day um, to see, you know, who knew what and when they knew that. Um, so the, the committee is really just beginning their work. Um, but this week's uh, hearing was really a tone setter. Um, and interestingly enough, as I think we've probably discussed, you know, there are two Republicans on this committee that were appointed by Speaker Pelosi. Um, so there are no Republicans on this committee that are going to be defending President Trump. So Republicans will try and, um, you know, defend uh, President Trump from the outside of this committee. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how that works. You know, does that um, give Democrats the upper hand and more of the spotlight in um, uh, on this committee and, and what factors were led that led to um, the storming of the Capitol. Um, so, you know, this 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 could be impactful, but I think, unfortunately, a lot of Republicans will dismiss any findings from it because they were not a part of the process, uh, most really by choice. Um, so, you know, I think uh, uh, Democrats will continue to talk about this uh, select committee and um, try and tout its, its findings and uh, any new information that is uh, discovered from it. But Republicans will continue to kind of brush it aside and try and um, focus on other items of the day. Well, I know there are many unanswered questions with respect to what happened and why, so a lot to investigate. It will be interesting to see what this committee turns up over time, so more to come there and more we can follow up on. A topic I do want to follow up on, the drumbeat has been very loud surrounding the southern border. We've spoken about this topic a lot on the podcast over the past couple of months, though this week in particular we've been hearing a lot on this topic. I know the Biden 
administration has released a highly anticipated uh, strategy, so to speak, which addresses the root cause of the migration patterns from Central America. Any color on that you can share with us, Shane, and maybe bring us up to speed on what's happening down at the southern border where that currently stands? Yeah, so uh, this has, you know, been in the making for a few weeks now. You, you may remember a while ago, uh, Vice President Harris went down uh, to Central America to try and um, essentially start this conversation. And this has brought us to the point of uh, this week, the Biden administration releasing their five-point plan to address um, several issues that they believe are the stem cause of this uh, flow of uh immigrants to the U.S. Um, so, you know, the, the topics here being uh, looked at in this five-point plan are economic inequality, uh, corruption, um, how to strengthen Democrat institutions, uh, how to protect human and labor rights, and how to counter criminal gangs and combat uh, violence. So, you know, um, the Biden administration believes these are the causes for people deciding to leave their home countries of Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, um, which is also known as the Northern Triangle, and trek up through Mexico to the U.S. And, you know, uh, the Biden administration is working with, um, you know, the government of Mexico and actually others like, you know, Japan and South uh, Korea and the United Nations to try and um, bring everyone together here to address um, these uh, root cause issues and try and uh, essentially stem the tide of this illegal immigration into the U.S. Well, it is interesting to hear about some of the findings, what the administration uncovered, and uh, there is still a lot to be worked out, addressed here, so I'm sure we'll continue to keep very close track, see how it progresses over the next few months, but thank you for bringing us up to speed on that, Shane. Maybe one final topic we can hit on. I know since we last spoke, the CDC came out this week with updated spread prevention guidance, really revolving around masking. This in response to the Delta variant circulating throughout the country. So how has the federal government responded? I know we did hear from President Biden. He delivered some remarks to reporters yesterday on this. And what kind of responsibility now is really placed on state and local governments to enact or apply the CDC's guidance? Yeah, so you're right. The uh, new advice from the CDC is to mask up and uh, while you're indoors, if you live in a place with uh, substantial or high coronavirus transmission. Um, so, you know, I think, Dan, you're in Connecticut and I'm in uh, Maryland. And, and I think where we live, it's uh, actually it's to deemed to be moderate. So we may not have to mask up. But if I were to travel um, just a mile uh, to Washington, D.C., they are reinstituting um, their uh, mask policies starting tomorrow. So if I were to go, you know, and into the city tomorrow, I'd probably have to wear a mask. So, you know, this is obviously very confusing. So there's a lot of work to be done by states and localities to try and um, help cut through this confusion and make sure, you know, their citizens understand kind of where they are um, in regards to transmission rates and what that means for masking up. But the Biden administration is uh, trying to... Um, address this in a variety of ways, you know, um, vaccines would be number one, you know, the Biden administration is looking to ensure that all federal workers uh, are vaccinated. And if they are not, they have to probably be tested twice a week. Um, if they are not going to say if they're vaccinated, they probably have to work from home and 
and uh, socially distanced. Um, Additionally, I think the Biden administration is looking to states and local governments to try and financially incentivize the unvaccinated to get vaccinated, I think, with a $100 um, um, bonus, we'll say, if you get vaccinated. So they're, they're continually looking for ways to try and get more people vaccinated because, you know, re- uh, nationwide, the rate of vaccination is not high enough um, for kind of... Uh, that uh, threshold where it, it really takes a hold uh, communally. So, you know, uh, this is more work to be done, and I wouldn't be surprised in the coming days and weeks we have more uh, coming from the Biden administration about uh, other efforts. But, you know, um, there is a real push by the Biden administration right now to, to get more uh, Americans vaccinated, and they're focusing on where they can, which is federal workers, and then going to try and encourage states and local governments to get more citizens that they are not uh, able to reach. Yeah, this story is the definition of fluid. I was scrolling through my news feed this morning. It seems like overnight some other counties, areas throughout the country are starting to enact or a guide with respect to these masking mandates. Others, well, more information to come soon. So it'll be interesting to see how into next week, how this plays out and where we go from here. But uh, Shane, very timely, productive conversation as always. Really appreciate your time for joining us here on the podcast and for covering all of the ground that you did with us. I hope you have a nice weekend and look forward to picking back up with the conversation again soon. Thank you, Dan. I hope you have a great weekend and we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thank you, Shane. And again today, we've been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So as a reminder to our listeners and our clients, please be sure to reference the latest Washington Weekly publication, which can be located on UBS.com forward slash Washington Weekly. The Washington Weekly podcast is part of the UBS In The Now podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at UBS.com forward slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC.